Hi, my name is Scott Cameron. This is the joys of teaching literature. So we're talking all things high school English. Um, if you know, want to know more about me, my website's theteachersworkshop.com. I actually offer online professional development for high school English teachers. Uh, so this week, we're talking about the novel. Very difficult thing to teach. Uh, difficult to get, try to get kids to read novels, depending on the novel. Um, sometimes they, they jump right in. They, they Word gets around that it's really enjoyable, easy to read. Uh, but then other times, they're, they're really long and lengthy. Uh, but either way, I, I definitely have a, a kind of unique way of, of, well, actually of reading a novel. Um, when I read a novel to teach it, I, I read it differently. Um, basically, what I do is keep track of topics. And by the end of a novel, I'll usually have 20 or 30 topics. I just kind of write them down as they come up. Joy, sadness, authenticity, longing, um, you know, maybe it could be a symbol like, you know, Holden Coffin's hunting hat, for instance, and I'll just keep track of that symbol, uh, a motif, you know, that comes out. Um, so, so, and then what I do is write down the page number for each of those topics that, that correspond. If the quote, if there's a quote on the page that corresponds to that topic, I just write the page number down. And that way I just have like 30 different lesson plans. Basically, as soon as I finish reading it, I have 30 different lesson plans, right? I have like 15 to 20 different passages related to a particular topic, and then I, I can go from there. So anyway, that's what I'm talking about now is um, that process. I'm calling this a novel way to teach the novel. Teaching the novel will always be one of the biggest challenges of any secondary ELA, any secondary ELA teacher faces. Think about what we're asking them. Read Emma by Jane Austen instead of going on Instagram. Read To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf instead of binging on Netflix. <laughs> Every English teacher works tirelessly to instill a love of reading in their students. We convince them that literature matters, that fiction has an important place in our society, that imagination is the root of all things. Our drive to understand human nature will hopefully inspire our students to be better at conversation and be better at understanding, to be listeners as well as talkers. Sometimes our classroom routines have nothing to do with any of this, but we have to keep trying out whatever works best over and over and over again because it matters. Here's my approach. I'll break this down uh, into three different parts. And the first part is uh, independent reading. So I have um, my students read the novel independently. Uh, they take notes completely on their own, um, not in parts, not chapter by chapter. I just give them a due date, and that's that. I start the year uh, with a unit on poetry or short fiction uh, to give students at least four to six weeks to read one novel. Then we study the novel for four weeks in class. So that gives me my students at least four weeks to read the next novel at home. So <laughs> I know what you're thinking, and this is what I always get objections uh, early on, but never later. Uh, you're thinking they study one novel in class and read another at home? Yes, because this allows them to read at their own pace, right? If they have a soccer tournament or a family trip one weekend, they can plan to read at some other time. They can decide if they want to read in one long sitting on the weekend, which I prefer, or break up the reading every night. Occasionally, I will check in to answer questions on the plot. Um, and, and, and yeah, at the end of every year, I know, I know you're thinking, like, this will never work for me, and that seems crazy, so different from what I do. Um, but at the end of the, every year, I allow my students to provide me with written feedback about my course. And they can say whatever they want. I tell them, don't put your name on it. You know, I tell them that I take it seriously, that I want their criticism. I want their suggestions. 
Um, and they all say how much they basically love reading at their own pace, that there's no stress involved in it. They can determine for themselves when they want to read, just like in real life. So I ask students to take notes on every book they read. My note-taking activity allows me to avoid quizzes and reading checks, so there's no time wasted in class. Students must learn the valuable skill of note-taking and, and, and learn to find meaning on their own. So I define notes as a combination of short quotes, interpretation, and summary. My so students have to take a note every four or five pages of text and submit at least one page of single-space notes for every 100 pages of text. So it's, it's, it's a lot and it's not a lot, right? It's one page for one, every 100 pages of text. Right? They must write the page number that corresponds to the note. Some students uh, can take some students can take notes while students can take notes while they read, after a, so sorry, so they can take notes while they read. Uh, they can take notes after they finish a chapter if they want, or they can take notes after completely finishing a novel. So a lot of them will say like, "Oh, this the note taking process it gets in the way of me enjoying the novel. I have to stop and write stuff all the time." I'm like, all right, so just write page numbers down, put in post-it notes, whatever you want to do, and take notes after you read. I'm only asking for one page of notes for every hundred pages of text. So if you've read, you should be able to go back to that page and just take a note on it, right? Um, typically, that's a minimum. So, you know, I want to say, I guess most meet the minimum, but there are a lot of kids who do more than, than the minimum, which shows that, that there are a lot of kids who actually enjoy. Some kids are distracted by notes. Some kids really enjoy taking notes. Um, and I often get more than what I ask for. Um, so the second thing is, is how I introduce the novel. So after distributing the book in class, I talk about the historical context of the book, the narrative mode of the book, and the writer's style. So for instance, when I talk, introduce about, uh, talk about Emma, or give out the book Emma, I tell them that Jane Austen revolutionized the institution of marriage and talk about Clueless and the ABC or the ABC series The Bachelor. They will know that Austen uses a limited omniscient narration and what that means, right? If it's my favorite book, To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf, I'll just tell them, this is my favorite book, and, and I'll explain why. If I, if I think it's the most important book that's ever written, that's Night by Ellie Wiesel, I'll tell them, this is definitely the most important book. It changed my life, right? It changed how I treated people. If it's written in a stream of consciousness, like The Unvanquished by William Faulkner, I'll tell them, like, look, embrace your confusion, right? This this writer is pressing record in the protagonist's brain and just writing the things down that come into his brain. It's, it's a narration of his consciousness, right? You have to be confused. It's okay. And that helps because they're like, oh, okay. So I don't like need to know every single plot detail that happens in this book. That's great. You know, if I'm a little confused, I'll just do my best, keep moving on. And if there's something particularly challenging about a text, like the number of minor characters, like in Things Fall Apart, the names are really hard. There's a lot of minor characters. Um, the relations between the characters sometimes are hard. Um, I'll provide them with a character tree or a list of characters and say, look, this is hard, but this is our protagonist. You know, there's, there's maybe two or three other people to kind of watch out for, but don't feel, you know, don't go crazy trying to keep track of all these minor characters. All right, the last thing, uh, the third thing is topic-based activities. So I kind of talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, um, but because my students read the text before we study it, the entire text before we study it, we can track one topic from the first page to the last page. Right? For instance, when I cover the topic of crime and great expectations by Charles Dickens, we look at the first scene where Magwitch threatens to eat young Pip's cheeks, liver, and heart. <laughs> 
I just said that out loud. He threatens to eat, eat his cheeks, liver and heart. It's kind of what I do to my daughters because I love them so much. Um, but no, he's threatening his life. Um, and and one, in one of the last scenes where Pip watches a judge sentence Magwitch to death, he, he does it alongside 32 other criminals. So, right, you, you meet on the first page, you meet this criminal who's threatening a little boy's life. And at the end of the book, you're looking at a courtroom where this person is being sentenced to death, and so are 32 other people at the same time. It is haunting. Right? So you can have that conversation about both those scenes and everything in between. Right? We can have a rich, lengthy conversation about the Magwitch on the first page uh, because we can talk about the other Magwitch that Pip gets to know. We can also talk about Pip's innocence on the first page and the scene where he gets arrested for debt at the end of the story. So how did he go from being this nice little boy to a person who has, who has, who's getting arrested to have, for having too much debt? We track the development of an idea and at the same time, the development of a character. So those are the two different things that we can kind of look at is like, okay, how does this idea concept develop through the course of the book? And then how does this character develop over the course of the book, which is ultimately what you want to do when they write, right? And so, so I can cover one topic in one day, or I can cover one topic in two weeks. Sometimes it goes that long. Uh, at the beginning of the discussion, I can ask questions related to the topic or talk about, you know, in the case of crime and great expectations, I can talk about incarceration rates, justice, law, or even Dickens' experiences visiting his father in Marcelzi prison, right? So I can introduce that topic, in the, you know, so you're not just like, hey, we're going to talk about page 12 today, but no, we're going to talk about this particular topic. These are the questions that I have. These are, this is what makes this topic relevant in the, the society that we live in today. So I typically have around uh, 15 to 20 passages related to each topic. So I have the option of at least 10 possible activities, right? To choose. I can just pick and choose what activity I want for that day. I can do a class discussion, group work, stations. Uh, individuals can create a PowerPoint or groups can create a PowerPoint or Google Doc. I can have groups work in posters, uh, create a poster. I can create a handout, uh, do independent work with that handout. A close reading, I can pick like, you know, maybe three or four of the passages if I have 10 or 15 of them, or I can do both. I can cover the passages and then do just a couple of close readings. I can assign a one-pager that's based on that topic of crime, right? Uh, I can lecture if I want, or I can have a seminar. At the end, I can have each student write an argument or a paragraph that answers a question related to the topic. Like in this case, it's how does Pip develop a sense of what it means to be a criminal, right? So that's a question I developed related to the topic of crime and great expectations. So you can always create a question based on the topic. Um, but you don't have to. It could just be a topic. And sometimes questions give away the argument. Like students sometimes will just reframe the question to be an answer. right? So a topic, you'll, you can avoid that. And then it forces them to, to kind of think about how they're going to arrange and, and structure the essay. Um, you know, so I try to arrange the order of the top, like I myself try to arrange the order of the topics uh, that I present so that we move from, from speaking about external or cultural influences on the characters to more internal or, or psychological fa factors that account for who they become. Uh, so I can actually like do backwards design that way where I have a list of different topics that I'm going to get to and I can actually get rid of them if I don't have time or something like that. If one topic extends you know, for three or four days, you know, I can kind of just throw out one topic because, and so I don't have to stress about like, oh, I'm not getting into chapter 12. Like I got a chapter, you know, so you just kind of pick and choose what you want to cover. 
um, and, and also encourage, again, encouraging them to think about how they want to structure their essay. It's going to be somewhat similar, maybe different from how you structure uh, the conversation in your class. So I try to end each unit on a positive topic. So if I'm structuring the, how I'm going to cover each topic in that unit, I'll end with an imagine, you know, a topic like imagination or love. So we're, we're going to t talk about imagination and how the character has a particular way of imagining things at the beginning and maybe at the end they're, you know, it's more about hopes and dreams and, you know, it's kind of like different kind of idea. We develop that idea and understanding of that idea as we go through the book, right? Sort of how you want their body paragraphs to move too, right? You want them to move through that idea and, and explain where it goes and how it develops, right? If the topic is love, right? Maybe the character has, you know, trust issues or doesn't want, you know, is closed character at the beginning of the book and maybe they're more open at the end, right? So you can kind of look at those things in the context of that one topic. And then my final essay question, right? You know, this is backwards design. It doesn't have to be, I'm not too big of a fan of backwards design. I mean, sometimes it's okay, but sometimes I just come up with, after our discussions, then I come up with a question uh, that, that allows them to, to use the topics that we covered in class or topics that they gathered from their independent reading of the book. So that's really crucial too, right? It's like maybe you just, you know, talk about and make sense of what we covered in class, but maybe you actually saw this other thing that we didn't even talk about in class when you read the book on your own, and you're going to go talk about that in one of your body paragraphs, right? So that's all the different sort of almost limitless number of possibilities uh, when you give this, when you trust really to, to the students to read the book on their own and, and they work their way through it. Um, providing a little bit of assistance here and there where you need to, but ultimately doing, again, what you want them to do in real life, which is just to, hey, read this book, right? So thanks for listening. <laughs>